Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's great for kids doing homework, great for reading, great for writing, anything that you need to focus on. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments and more at mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1201, with guest David Driscoll. Recorded Thursday, September 24th, 2015. Guess what? It's .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. And I'm Richard Campbell. Here we are again, brother. Here we are, my friend. End of summer. Coming into the crazy, crazy fall season. Crazy fall season. Can we announce the thing that we're going to be doing yet? I guess. Yeah. You know, they're asking us for paper. We can, I, I, part of me is we get all these great things, and until they're actually signed, you never know if they're really going to happen. But right. we're, we're pretty far down the paperwork path now, so. Yeah. Our intent is that Richard and I will be emceeing an Azure world tour. And when we say world, we mean five cities. All over the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish we could do more, but it doesn't always work out that way, well, right? there's only five, but they are literally everywhere. They're all over the place. They're all over the place. So should we call these dates out? And these are a little bit tentative, but... Yeah, uh, go ahead. Uh, Stockholm, November 18th. Yes, Stockholm, Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tel Aviv, Israel, December 2nd. Yep. Paris, Paris, France, yeah. December 8th. Oh, I thought you were going to say Paris, Texas. Could have done Paris, Texas, but no, no, no. <laughs> Paris, France. Subtle difference. Uh, Frankfurt, Germany, February 26th. Yep. And Budapest, Hungary on March 1st. Budapest. There it is. So those are the stops and, uh, that's where we're going to be. The, uh, the actual content of the whole thing is all going to be very Azure centric. Mm-hmm. We're going to be in, involved in all kinds of things. I know we're part of a crazy party at the end of every show, but uh, some of the details are still being worked out. This is going as quickly as possible, but we're really excited about this. And of course, we're going to, um, as far as we know, record a live .NET Rock show at each of these events. Well, that's my plan. Yeah. That we'll make as many shows. I don't even want to do just one. I think we'll do one in front of an audience, but I hope we pick up a couple of others just because you never know. There's something powerful about shows in person yeah. when you can get them done. So we'll do as many of those as we can. Totally agree. And you know, in amongst those crazy stops, as they spread over months, we're going to be at ND. Well, we're off to... I'm off to Amsterdam in a, in right. a couple of weeks. Right. Uh, we're together in Vegas for yeah. Dev Intersection, which is huge, huge. Right. If you've never been to a Dev Intersection, you want to be there this fall, last week of October. We're going to be uh, doing the 64-bit question, as always. Yeah, of course. And then uh, in D.C., London. Yeah, that's going to be great in January. January. And rumor has it we may go up into scotland for a little jaunt yes there's something that isn't quite as set up (laughs) no not quite as set up but uh progress we're trying trying. maybe by the time this show is broadcast yeah out there it'll all be done i hope it is the new website is up of course congratulations buddy joel's a genius it's beautiful 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 yeah we might have him on the show and talk to him about that he is jumped in feet first into already so that's the Humanitarian Toolbox project right. that we did as part of the Studio 2015 launch. Wow. So wrapped around the MVP Summit, we're going to be doing a hackathon at the end of the MVP Summit across that weekend to get the Already project into the field for the Red Cross. And uh, Joel and a few other folks, including Steve Strong. Yeah, and he's talking about Joel Hewlin from Next, which is my consulting firm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to, and uh, just had Rocky Latkes sign on. Great. And a couple of Magenic folks. So we've got an interesting team, about a dozen people, uh, a few a few known names, and a, and a few folks that have just been contributing to the project for some time now. And so uh, Microsoft offered to uh, bring us all together, and we're going to shoot a little video, and we're going to get already out the door. This is all good news. All right. Yeah. Well, I got something good to uh, share with the world. So uh, roll that music for Hit Better me. Know Framework. 
All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, you know Bob Resselman, our friend. I do know Bob Resselman. Yeah. He's a nice man. He is a nice man. He uh, builds great guitars and also has been a longtime .NET developer, a longtime .NET Rocks fan. And we just did a show with him on craftsmanship maybe a month ago. And uh, it was a wonderful show. Well, anyway, he has, and this is funny because I know your daughter does this, he has a web comic. Oh, does he? He does. It's called the world in which we live dot com. Nice. The world in which we live. So check it out at the world in which we live dot com. Um, I think it really does appeal to the, to the geek in all of us, not That's just awesome. geeks. For example, the September 21st comic right at the top of the page. There's a guy on his knees, you know, popping a ring open, you know, to this girl. And she says, um, how many followers do you have? <laughs> that's good stuff. Yep, that's awesome. Check it out. I started reading it and I'm kind of addicted. Anyway, that's what I got, Richard. The world in which we live.com. Who's talking to us? Well, I'm torn. I have a couple of different comments here. One of them is on uh, show 1152, the one we did with Simon Crop when we talked about Fody. That comment's from David Driscoll, who says, Sounds like y'all need to do an OmniSharp episode. Yeah. But that comment's just a bit too meta for me, so I didn't think I would go with it, actually. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. <laughs> actually, I, I found this great comment on show 1110. That's 1,110 shows. That was only back in March of 2015. Mm -hmm. And that's a show we did with Glenn Block when we were talking about Script CS, which we've talked about a few times. You right. Know, sort of circle back on it a few times. And, and uh, of course, now with Rosalind actually shipping, the whole Script CS thing's big. And, and a lot of conversation on that show was about this idea of Roslyn being the replacement for VBA in Office, which still hasn't happened, but who knows. But here's a different angle on it. And it's, this is only a few months ago. And I think it's really interesting considering where we are just these few months later. It's from Mark McFadden. who said, another great show, guys. What was interesting to me in this show was the discussion of the, quote, new Microsoft and its consideration of other operating systems such as Linux. I just read an article that dealt with the relevance of Microsoft being an open source company. In short, my understanding of the article is that Microsoft is too late to the open source ecosystem to make any significant difference in both its marketing reach as well as effect. Nah, I don't buy that. While I thought the article made salient points such as the reason ultimately comes down to community, one must not dismiss the large number of Microsoft.NET developers that are both active and adding to the body of both .NET as well as open source frameworks. I don't buy it. We're just getting started here with technology. Well, and I think We're that's babies. his point, right? Is you may, th if, if, if you only got a view from open source, you think nobody has a clue. You just have no idea how many developers there actually are and the contributions that they're making. Mm hmm. And Mark goes on to say, as a former .NET developer, I've been working in Java and open source technologies the past eight years. One thing I remember well is the care that Microsoft takes with its developer community. And also, given that Studio 2015 is including Bower and NPM as first-class package management systems, as well as JavaScript as a first-class citizen in its ecosystem, it is still too early to consider it, quote, irrelevant. Remember that Microsoft has always been about... Developers, developers, developers. Developers, developers, developers. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I just, you know, funny that there was articles like this earlier this year uh, and sort of a response to Microsoft's announcements around open source. And then here we are later in the year just with so much software and so much work going on. Like it's just a part of the pattern, you know. And I, I mentioned already at the top of the show, I mean, that is the sample app for ASP.NET 5. Mm. Uh and it's an open source project. Yep. Whole new world. Yes. So, Mark, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of the social media we post to. I put every show up on Google Plus and Facebook. You can comment there. And there's been lots of conversation there lately. I'm going to have to read more of the comments from over there as well. And uh, if we read your comment on the show, we'll send you a mug. And that brings us to David Driscoll, our guest. By day, David is a software developer with SciQuest. That's SCI Quest. And by night, he can be found hacking away on various open source projects, some you may have even used. Currently, he's a contributor on the OmniSharp family of projects, primarily working on OmniSharp Roslyn and the OmniSharp Atom plugin. Welcome, David. How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing? Oh, oh, tired. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good. For That means you're working hard. Um, been working on OmniSharp? Uh, yeah, this afternoon. Uh, today I'm doing a little bit of work. Um, woke up with a, a little bit of a cold this morning, so. Oh. 
Yeah, that's what happens when fall happens. Where are you located? Uh, I am currently in Raleigh. Okay. North Carolina. So it's just beginning to get a little colder there. Not mu- not much though, right? Uh, from where I'm from, this isn't cold. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. North Carolina is not original home? No, I'm originally from Edmonton, actually. Oh. oh okay, so you, you know what winter is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Northernmost state capital in the world? Yeah. Okay, um, as we heard on a previous show, OmniSharp is a family of open source projects, each one with a goal to enable great .NET experiences in your editor of choice. So tell us, uh, you know, I think I get it. It's basically um, to enable editing in, in, uh, with IntelliSense and all that stuff, the, the .NET experience of, or the Visual Studio experience, maybe. How far does it go? Well, I like to, to call it you know, uh, visual, it's like an ID in a box, right? So we have, there's the, the two parts that work together. We have the server and then we have the client plugins. So something like Atom or Visual Studio Code or Emacs or even Vim will talk to the server and the server has the intelligence necessary to understand the code. Got it. So it isn't a client-side technology at all. It's all happening asynchronously back to the server. The server's making sense of what you're doing and providing you with lists of options when you press the dot, for example. That, that's exactly right. So, so the client is basically telling the server what the state of its its files and content is, and then the server goes and can then act on that. Uh, and there's we have two versions of the server currently. Uh, I work on the Roslyn-based one, but there's also one based on uh, the Mono and Refactory uh, project. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it might not be Mono, but N Refactory, which does you know um, you know code intelligence as well. And the server can be a local server as well? Does it need to be in the cloud or does it? Um, so the server is right now all local. Um, that's that's an idea that I've been toying with in the back of my head is how could we make this run in the cloud and then, you know, be able to use like Visual Studio Online with full intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with your project in a Git repo somewhere. Um, there's a lot of moving parts there, but that could be a really cool story. Well, um, uh, how did this project start? So I wasn't there at the beginning. Uh, back in 2011, uh, uh, Jason Emerson uh, started the OmniSharp server. Uh, he's a Vim guy and basically just wanted to be able to do C Sharp, but in Vim, and get things like autocomplete and you know, code fixes and refactorings and that kind of stuff that you don't get by just using a notepad or a text editor. Um, and so then in the end of 2014, I want to say, or maybe it was the end of for the beginning of 2014, um, we were look. Uh, a group got together: David Fowler, Scott Hanselman, uh, Matthew McLaughlin, and a few others uh, to, you know, take what that existing server was and migrate it to DNX. Um, a .NET execution environment. Yeah, to build a new one with with, yeah, with the new uh, .NET execution environment, um, and that's sort of where the OmniSharp Roslyn server spawned from, um, and then. The editor plugins for brackets and Atom and VS Code came out this year. Uh, there's Emacs and Vim, and then there's one more that I'm missing. Uh, yes, Sublime. Sublime, yes, that's right. And of course, Visual Studio Code depends on this as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. Visual Studio Code out of the box uses it. Out of the box, Visual Studio Code ships with uh, OmniSharp, um, and like things like the refactorings that we've gotten into VS Code lately um, are because of OmniSharp getting the refactoring support. Interesting through Roslyn. So, how big a role does Roslyn play in OmniSharp overall? So, in the new server, it is it is the fundamental building blocks. Um, there's there's some services that we're uh, we're trying to get. Um, uninternalized so that we can actually use them and operate against them um, like code completions and stuff uh, we don't quite have you know the same level as Visual Studio uh, itself has um, but that's because they can they can call into these APIs that they have not made public yet mm, okay so um, with these with these integrations it says on the homepage that it's using Owen to host this middleware and but so since it's Owen, can the server run on anything, or does it have to be on a Linux server? So the original server, uh, I believe, can run anywhere. I don't really run it a lot myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the Roslyn based server runs, you know, Mac, Linux, Windows. Right. Um, 
you know, we have our integration tests set up so that, you know, we get we get tests across the various uh, different operating systems, which gives us, you know, a level of confidence that when we're making changes, you know, that it works. Because, um, I mean, I'm a Windows guy personally. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't I didn't come into this be like, oh, I want to do C Sharp on my Mac. I don't I don't own a Mac. I don't, you know, I haven't run Linux since you know, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of got sucked in because um, Visual Studio was kind of slow as a slug with the uh, a lot of the DNX stuff at the beginning back when it was the KRE and they did the rename and everything broke, you know, and I was looking for an editor and cause you know, doing C sharp without autocomplete sucks. Yeah. Um, doing anything without autocomplete sucks. (laughs) This is true. We're spoiled. So I wanted to, um, to go from that and, uh, I ran into, I tried out brackets, which had some cool features, but you know, felt a little incomplete. Um, never been a big Sublime user, mm-hmm. got it kind of running. Um, but then I came into Atom and, you know, cause I heard a lot about GitHub's Atom, Atom editor and I'm like, oh, this is cool. And I'd played with it when they first released the windows alpha. Um, but then when I got to it this time, uh, I guess the beginning of the year, uh, 2015, that it was a much better editor experience than I had had, that the package ecosystem was growing exponentially. Um, and so I tried out the the Atom plugin for OmniSharp and it worked. And I'm like, this is awesome. Um, and then they were looking for contributors to, to help, you know, add more features. And I sort of just jumped in uh, with Adam and, and started there. What got you off of Visual Studio in the first place and sent you down this path? Yeah, and, you know, nothing in particular. I mean, I always enjoyed open source. Right. And the ideas behind, you know, what open source is, what open source means. Um, well, you said it was the performance a minute ago, right? Well, it wasn't performance. It was just Visual Studio wasn't updated. It just didn't support what I wanted to do. They broke it. I wanted to use the latest bits. I couldn't. And it was, you know, I was looking for something that let me use the latest bits. Mm. Right. And that was that was my my initial motivation anyway. Okay. Um, to be able to uh, just work in this other editor that wasn't Visual Studio was just fascinating to me, mm. and, and still get autocomplete mm-hmm. as I would have in Visual Studio. So you like the weight of Adam and its style as an editor, but you still want those features. That's right. So when you say those features, what are they? Um, can you do you have a list of features that we can expect in all these editors? Um, I mean, the feature support varies by editor because the editor has to support the fundamental server endpoint that it's communicating with. Right. Um, so I mean, I don't think we have a support matrix of what editors do what, um, but I can tell you what Adam does because I do that quite sure. a bit. So, I mean, it supports, you know, standard, you know, diagnostics and code checks. So errors and warnings, that kind of stuff that you'd see in code, mm-hmm. um, code actions. So, uh, you know, yeah. uh, the rename or not rename, add namespace or using namespace, those kind of things, mm-hmm. uh, code formatting. So you can keep your documents updated, formatted the way you want. Um, we've added in support, which isn't really a server feature, but able to, uh, to run DNX commands from inside Atom. So you can boot up your server inside Atom. And it'll it'll manage the state. So if you uh, if you make a change in a file in Atom with the server running in Atom, it can restart um, the server for you. And sort of get that that integrated experience that that Visual Studio with uh, Helios does. Um, and there's like find symbols usages, go to definition. Um, one of the ones that I'm really really or uh, was really excited about to do was semantic highlighting. So that's you know Visual Studio. You get a class name and it gives it a different color. Um, with all the other editors, you're, you're stuck with mainly regex based, uh, text mate based, essentially grammars, mm. what they call them. Uh, so you don't necessarily get that, that contextual feeling, uh, even in visual studio code, you don't. So that if it's a class, you don't really know it's a class, not by just looking at the screen. So, right. uh, Adam has support for now semantic highlighting. So those classes and interfaces names, uh, show up differently. You can configure them in your editor with your own colors. Um, and IntelliSense, of course. Uh, look up tool tips. Hmm. Wow. Um, package restore. Jeez. <laughs> run tests. Uh, and then we also have the ability to like drag and drop files. So if you drop a CS file or a CSX file, like a script, script sharp file into Atom, it's going to start up a different OmniSharp instance for you. So you can start editing that file on the fly. You don't have to have a project file, you know, just start working. Wow, it's like all the goodness of Visual Studio in whatever you currently use. Yeah, exactly. 
geez, that's a big list. You know, at first I was thinking, oh, IntelliSense, yeah, that'd be great to have in Sublime. But then, you know, you just blew my mind with all that stuff. So you said error highlighting. So if I, you know, uh, type a word that the compiler doesn't understand, is it's going to underline it or just like Visual Studio does? Yeah, so uh, in Atom, we use a lot of the community-driven tools. So we use one called Linter. Um, so we don't necessarily control the styles and keep it all, make it look all like Visual Studio. Yeah. So it looks a little different. But yeah, if you type a word that's wrong, you know, you get little red underscore yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Curlies, whatever they're called. Um, if it's a warning, you get the same thing for warnings. Uh, we have a little window that shows you that information. You click on it, you can go there. Um, you can all, there's a lot, of, we've also tried to add a lot of keyboard support too. So people that are, you know, Vim users and using the Atom Vim stuff, you know, they can build their bindings up to go do what they want. Is this going to work on languages other than C Sharp? Um, so that's a great point that you brought that one up. The, what I've been working on for about the last month, which has sort of taken me away from Atom and moving more towards the server, is refactoring the server uh, and sort of taking it apart. So today what we have is we have something that supports uh, MS build-based projects, mostly it's still a little shaky support. Uh, DNX support, which which is great, and then script CS support. But to do anything else, we'd have to add in more code and just keep adding on, and that's not right. scalable. Um, so I've been working on the story that's been outstanding for a while, which is a plugin-based infrastructure. So um, once this PR goes through, it's not quite there yet. It might land it by the time this show airs. Um, once that lands... We're going to have uh, everything as a plugin, so we can start looking at Cake support, which is a build system based on C Sharp, kind of like Fake, mm. um, which there's already a, a proof of concept out there that exists uh, today for that. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure if we're going to bring that into Roslyn or, or, or to OmniSharp Roslyn or what we're quite going to do there or not. Um, but the goal is for Visual Studio Code to land F Sharp support is we're going to use OmniSharp. Nice. So nice. once we have this this plugin infrastructure finished and in place, we can start looking at F sharp uh, support. We can start looking at you know other sort of C sharp derivatives like Cake or Fake. You know if those are are in demand, and then you know long out in the future, I mean there's always the potential chance that we could say add Python support or PHP support if that's what people wanted. What about VBnet? Wouldn't that be easier? VB would certainly be easier. Um, that's another thing that's on my mind. Yeah. You know, once once DNX supports VB, adding VB support for us should be uh, almost trivial. Right. Yeah, I wonder how many uh, Emacs VB people there are out there. Just curious. That <laughs> I know. seems I unlikely. It <laughs> seems unlikely. But, you know, it is a different world here. I'd be interested. I'd be really interested to go back into the VB community and see what uh, – see you know how they're embracing this whole open source and multi-tools and everything else yeah it's an interesting question just to where who's moving where and how i mean Roslyn going into the open source space has sort of brought the c-sharp folks along one way or the other mm. but uh you, what your dev tool is, is a much more personal thing it's one of the reasons sure. i asked the question in the first place like hey you know you're changing up your dev tool you're talking about derailing some reflexes to to getting your your apps built so to that point, we make we uh, with our Atom uh, plugin, we try to make a point to to make our default uh, key bindings and stuff feel very Visual Visual Studio like. So right. code formatting is Control KD, right? Like you would do normally. Yep. Um, you know, so you get that kind of experience, and we try to make it a lot easier for you to to you know come on board mm -hmm. um, from Visual Studio into Atom. Um, and I know some of the other editors do the same thing. What you're really doing, though, is you're adding features to an editor that never had them before. So you, you're still in the same environment. You still navigate around your favorite editor with the keystrokes and whatever you do. Now you just have more features. Do you find most of the development being done this way? At, well, we, when we talked about C Sharp, but is it primarily for web development? Do you Would you really build a WPF app or some kind of smart client app using these this tool set? I haven't dared to try to open my work projects yet. We right. still do a lot of issues to do in that. And that's just mainly because the, the MS build support is a little short, a little shaky. Um, and there's some intricacies there too, right? For, um, 
premise build, if you add a file, you have to add it to the, the project file. So we don't have that feature in OmniSharp Roslyn today. It's in the old server. We just don't have it in the new server. Um, you know, so there's some some holes there that we need we need to fill eventually um, to get the overall experience. Um, and hopefully, when MS Build goes full core CLR, we'll be able to get that and a lot of it for for free or cheap. Hmm. I mean, I totally understand how you guys have made the jump from the old mono approach over to the Roslyn approach, but it's still got to be tough on some folks. Like that's not a small thing to do. How so? But just you know, you're changing the underpinnings of the uh, of your tool set essentially. Oh yeah. Is there anybody absolutely. being left behind? Or is it everybody just switching to the new one? Um. So there's still a lot of the the teams out there. The Emacs and the Vim guys are are on the old server quite a bit. Sublime is still on the old server for the most right. part. Um, and it defaults to the old server today. Um, but they're actually working on you know trying to migrate their plugins to use use Roslyn. So we've made a very good uh, effort to not create any breaking API changes. So something that existed in the old server, if it exists in the new server, it's going to have the same API. Right. And if we need a different API, we make a new one so that the old clients, in theory, can move from one server to the other with, the, with very little impact. You not really break anybody, but it's still up to them to actually choose to switch servers. That's correct. Right. So, And, and sooner or later, the feature set's going to keep growing out. I mean, Roslyn does offer more. Oh, absolutely. So it does make sense to eventually switch, and presumably a non-breaking switch. One that I added recently is kind of cool is Code Lens support, you know, in more of an Atom-centric yeah. way. You're doing Code Lens nice. in Atom. Yes, dude, that's far out. That's great. <laughs> that's one of my favorite features of all time. <laughs> it's not quite the same because you can't do virtual lines. Um, yeah like VS Code can, so it's like a little bubble that pops up on the side, but Still, it's the same concept. Right. Tell me where this is referenced, and, and or if I have any references at all. I think just to be able to tell, no, you, you know, don't delete this or rename it because something depends on it is just mind-blowingly cool. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And it's sort of, ba one of the things is you start thinking, what's actually Visual Studio? And what is, you know, just the features of the language and the framework that can be pulled around anywhere you want to put mm, them. Mm. That's right. And just, it's got to make you think differently about this. And I can hear, you know, part of this whole conversation is, is getting into this compositional model. So you don't fall into the same trap that studio fell into with so many things in it, whether you're using them or not, you've got to carry all this weight around. Mm. Yeah. I mean, visual studio is kind of like a big Swiss army knife, right? It does everything yeah. you need. And, you know, in a way that's an, I find it's an anti-pattern mm -hmm. because, you know, Oh, sure, I can publish my application to Azure from Visual Studio. Right. But if I really want to do continuous integration or continuous delivery, I shouldn't. You know, I should have a PowerShell script or bat file or something that does that for me. Yes. You know, yeah. so I can do it in a consistent and repeatable manner. Um, you know, so getting away from that is kind of cool. But my point there is not so much the Visual Studio has that feature because that feature is fine. It's that if I'm not using that feature, don't load it. Yeah, exactly. I, I like the composability model where I can choose what features are available to me when I need them and not haul, don't pull out the whole big Swiss army knife. I only need three, three blades. Yeah. I mean, I try to do the same thing with Adam too. So anything that's sort of not like core experience related, you can turn mm -hmm. on and off. So if you don't like code lens, turn it off. There's yep. people that don't like it. If you don't like the, the semantic highlighting and there's some known bugs with it, that's it's disabled by default today. It's just because, you know, it's kind of hacking into the internal Atom APIs to make it work. Um, you know, you want that off, you can turn it off. You know, so we try to make it so that if you don't want something, you don't have it. Yeah, and, and it doesn't cost you anything to not have it, too. This whole just don't use it. It's like, yeah, but I'm still loading it. It's still consuming resources on my machine. Yeah, that's right. Which is kind of crazy to think about. I mean, our computers have so much horsepower, but Studio proved... When you get a big enough Swiss Army knife, it affects your whole machine. It just you have to make a really big Swiss Army knife. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Ah, uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to introduce OmniSharp for Notepad. It only works with Dart. <laughs> <laughs> We're working on the rest of it. Notepad. Notepad. I love it's it. It's actually time to give away Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first. Let me tell you about Telerik DevCraft. It's the most complete .NET toolbox for web, mobile, and desktop development. 
And with the addition of UI for Xamarin to the DevCraft bundle, you can create compelling native mobile experiences with your C-sharp skills. Download a free trial at tinyurl.com slash devcrafttrial. Awesome, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Nick Chamberlain. Congratulations, Nick. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Nick Chamberlain Jr. And just uh, for being a member of the fan club, Nick won the Telerik DevCraft collection, a big pile of awesome from Telerik. And if you don't know what we just did, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club, the all-new .NET Rocks fan club sign-up survey page. Woo! Yeah. Uh, it's free and you get, uh, the opportunity to get stuff like this. Every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors and every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club, but you got to sign up to win. We also like to ask our guest, David, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? If I had $5,000 to spend on technology today, I would buy my wife a computer because then she'd stop talking to me about it. Whoa! <laughs> nice. <laughs> nah, she's due for an upgrade. Ah. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have anything big or magnificent I would do. I mean, I'd just be like, I need to upgrade some of the stuff in the house. Yeah. yeah but a new computer, spending five grand on a new computer builds you a monster. It does. Right? Oh, absolutely. You know, except if it's a Mac Pro. My youngest, who's 20, uh, was just waxing poetic about how much she likes the computer we built for the kitchen, which is just a big Dell touchscreen with an Intel NUC strapped to it. A little four inch by four inch by one inch little micro machine with no fans, no noise. Like, and it's a good little machine and they're not expensive. Tell you what, I made one of those machines exactly like that for a kiosk at the Mystic Seaport. Oh, right. You're saying. And it's still running like a charm. It's beautiful. Perfect. No, I would have to get her like a big beefy Alienware or something because she, she's a gamer like myself. So, uh, what's ah. the game? Um, Back and forth, mainly like Blizzard games. Okay, so World of Warcraft, Diablo. Yeah, those kind of things. Yep. Well, they, they'll suck down the horsepower. No two ways about it. Absolutely. I have been looking at the performance of the latest generation of video cards and things because, you know, that's the kind of thing I can, I'll do. And it's insane. You know, they're now talking about 4K screens, you know, 3840 by 2160, 60 frames a second, full render on out of these $1,000 video cards. That's huge. It's it's crazy powerful. Let me let me ask you this. I don't know how close you are to Microsoft, but you know, seeing as how this is obviously an answer to the sort of big fat client behemoth that is Visual Studio that Richard and you were talking about just now. Do you see any inclination that Visual Studio itself, maybe starting in 2015, maybe in the next version, is going to sort of morph into moving more services outside of visual studio itself like you know like you're doing in omnisharp uh to sort of lighten the load and lighten the footprint i mean they already do that today with with the new dnx stuff right you know they uh they shell out and spawn a dnx process and communicate with that over a socket mm-hmm. you know so i mean they're already doing that today uh, and they're already sort of trying to compartmentalize other stuff into different packages and extensions you know so they're they're they've been trying hard at least since 2013 mm-hmm. to make it so that you know visual studio you know can be lighter if you want it to be and you can you can take away some of those things that you're just not using so how do you do that exactly? I mean, do you just go and turn them off and once you set it up in your options, things that you don't want? Yeah. I mean, there, there are some extensions that you just can't turn off, and it'd be nice to eventually be able to turn those off. Um, you know, do I know if they're going that direction? No, but it sort of seems like it from the outside looking in that, you know, they're they're really trying to make it as lightweight as they can. And I have no knock against Visual Studio as an editor. It's an awesome piece oh, it's amazing. Of, of machinery, yeah. you know, but sometimes it's just like, you know, I don't need a Swiss army knife. I need a spork. I need yeah. something very specialized <laughs> for, you know, for, for what I'm doing. I'm just trying to eat Mac and cheese here, people. Yeah. Easy text. <laughs> but you know, the other element of this is that development styles, even in the Microsoft with the Microsoft stack have diversified so much. The way you, the way someone like Billy Hollis would build a medical app using WPF is so dramatically different from a, from a, a high performance mobile app or, or a, a large scaling website. 
you know, maybe studio is in there, but you're using a totally different set of features. And there's so many different ways to get to that con- continuous integration mentality or w- whatever mechanisms you use for deployment. The chances that you're, we're all going to use the same parts of studio, they're almost nil. It's too diverse now. The, the only thing you use in studio that's the same as everyone else is the text editor. Right. Most of the time. You know, but that text editor is still calling out to completely different services, be it F sharp, C sharp, BB, so on and so forth. And even the editor, you know, now we're talking about all these other editors. You know, that's the one thing I think we actually talk about regularly is like, ah, you could be using this. You know, even Microsoft's making another editor at this point. Well, exactly. I mean, Visual Studio Code is awesome. It's like buttery smooth. I'm like, it's the same. This thing is, is great. But then I look at it and it doesn't have plugins. And then I look at Adam and go, I got all these these awesome plugins and we can contribute stuff back into that ecosystem. Right. Um, a feature that I forgot to mention was um, autocomplete in Project or JSON files. So hmm. um, we actually now have support for you know, Visual Studio Style and Telesense in those Project JSON files for your, your packages. So, you know, you can get Microsoft.dnx.framework.whatever, um, you know, and they just, you know, the server can give us the version information based on your NuGet config and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we, I made that as a new package for Adam and contribute it back because all it is is, is JSON schema support, right? Huh. So, you know, we, uh, I was able to build an M, uh, NPM version one. So you get NPM uh, support for autocomplete and versions and same for Bower. You know, very similar how Visual Studio has those today, and that's now back, and it's in the Atom ecosystem itself. If you're listening to this and you have a pet feature that you want to implement, you know, in Visual Studio, let's say, is it worth getting involved to to see how this can be programmed in, you know, in OmniSharp so that you can use it in a in another editor? Do you think? Do you, in other words, what I'm saying is, do you think that the features that the community comes up with for OmniSharp will, if they're great features, will someday show up in Visual Studio. I mean, I think so. Um, and we're always looking for for contributors. I'd love to have, you know, someone come along and say, I got this this awesome, cool feature, and then here's a PR. And if it's something controversial, here's maybe an issue, and we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like, well, here you go. And then maybe someday that will end in Visual Studio or VS Code or, you know, whatever that particular thing may be. Um, all this plugin refactoring was all about, you know, can we get this and make it flexible enough that we can do that kind of stuff. This is not your day job. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> you have a real job, too. You're doing this because you enjoy it. That's right. Exactly. So here's a question for you, then. You're working on tools to make developers more productive. I mean, that's the essence of OmniSharp. How has this changed the way you think about the software you normally build? It it has changed it completely. I mean, I'm not hmm. a text editor guy. I never thought I'd be working on a text editor and understanding all the stuff that's in there. I'm like, you know, at first that was way over my head and I didn't really touch Roslyn server. It was kind of like, I'll just, you know, I'll poke the server a little bit and give me some information. Um, you know, but now I've sort of gotten a more broad understanding, understanding a little bit more of Roslyn and, and some of those features there. And, and it's sort of just changed, you know, my idea of how I'm going to, you know, build things going forward and how, you know, we should try and make things super flexible um, when you can and when it makes sense. Yeah, no kidding. But it's really a question of, uh, you know, how much extra pain you go through one way or the other. It's just really interesting when you th- start living in that meta world of how the tool works and so forth, what it does to the way you build your software overall. Absolutely. It, it's changed my my whole perception of, of what Visual Studio does and, and the appreciation that I can now give it because I've now done the same kind of stuff. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But you still get into this, you know, you just talk about, oh, I should write more abstractly. It's like, well, when I write more abstractly, that can go slower too and certainly tougher to read. You know, you're thinking that way now, but how does that impact the people around you? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the going abstract, you know, can completely change exact, you know, how something works. And the, the same with the plugin support, you know, we basically had to take what we had today and abstract it out, you know, into something. Uh, we chose MEF because Roslyn already uses MEF, so we already had a reference to it that's, you know, yep. just sort of use what's there. Mm. Um, uh, but we also have the concept of, you know, let's, let's have some out-of-process support too. So um, it's a little untested. But the theory is you could build a, you know, a, um, a request response driven, um, 
service that OmniSharp could basically shell out, do much like Visual Studio does with DNX, uh, to get that information and have it communicate. And then OmniSharp becomes the, the glorious interface between you and this other service. Absolutely, yeah. And that service can give you whatever it wants to. Yeah. Yeah, just a way of or- organizing systems differently. Like the, the neat thing about this environment is this thinking composability all the time. And to start applying it to the way you normally build apps. You know, we, we always want to make an exception for Visual Studio. Oh, it's special. But, you know, if I get what you're putting down here, it's, you know, you could probably, composability is a good idea for most software. You get, if you start down this path, you don't have to clean it up later. That's true. But then you also run into some traps too, right? I mean, MEF by itself, I hadn't done MEF before. I'd done Unity and I'd done assembly scanning to find attributes and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but MEF is very opinionated. So, I mean, there's there's certainly some traps there with how uh, MEF can be opinionated. And you need to make sure that when you're doing this, that you're at least building some sort of testing to go along with it. Because if you move one thing wrong, you're going to, you know, bring the whole house down. And you don't usually think of composability as fragile at all. I mean, that was supposed to be the point. But the thing is, when it's so generic, you know, if you change something and how it composes it, you've suddenly mm-hmm. broken some assumption that's happened later on. Right. right. You can compose yourself into a corner, I suppose. Yeah. Well, um, how long is your wish list for features? And is it longer and bigger than you have the, than you guys and OmniSharp Project has resources to complete? I mean, I think there's always going to be room for new features. Um, you know, we got some long running ideas. Like, we're missing a couple things that Visual Studio Code has support for some, uh, like debugging. You know, that that's a big one that's, that's missing. Um, and that's not an easy job. Wait a minute, you're talking about adding a debugger? Yes. Not necessarily to OmniSharp, but a debugging service of some sort that we can we can call out to to be able to you know do interactive debugging in the editor. Wow. Now yeah, saying that, I'm, I'm it's not my, a small job. No, no, I'm my, I'm <laughs> trying to wrap my mind around that, like where things go. You know, I think of uh, OmniSharp as a server based service. That has, you know, that communicates with some sort of lightweight client thing that is providing the context of it. And, you know, how does that work? Does the debugger go in the client side only because it has this intimate knowledge about the symbols and, and all of, you know, the, the language and all of that? Or does it go outside? And why would it go outside? Well, that's what we don't quite have the answer for yet. And that's a, one reason why, you know, it's been like, oh, we'd like debugging support. And then it sort of stops there. Um, you know, I would think it would be an outside service, but it'd be something that the editor's aware of. Um, but then also, if you think about it, you know, Adam and both VS Code run on Electron. So they already have the Chrome developer tools in there. Right. So maybe there's something we could pull out to spawn a Chrome developer's tools hmm. to get some information out of it and apply that to the editor and then just have a standard API that uh, communicates over the, the, the V8 debugging uh, protocol. Huh. And is that only going to work in JavaScript if it's uh, Chrome, or how does C-sharp fit into that picture? Well, I mean, the debugging protocol is just, you know, where your debugger's at, what line it's on, you know, all the information watches, that kind of stuff. Hmm. You know, there shouldn't be too much... Well, I say it shouldn't be too much. It's going to be a lot of work. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, but, but it's it, it shouldn't be too, so far of a stretch beyond that to get that data into the V8 protocol and then communicate with that. Yeah, you're saying it's possible, but it is a lot of work. Absolutely. Um, a debugging is one of the big ones. And then Razor. Razor is another one we don't have yet. Yeah. So, I mean, we have syntax highlighting, but we don't have uh, a proper IntelliSense Intelli- support or... Um, you know, the semantic highlighting in there for tag helpers would be great to have. Is there an internal sort of philosophy about how big OmniSharp should get or stay or how small it should stay? I mean, I don't know if there's like an official line there, so I'm not going to put words in anybody's mouth. Um, you know, I think that way they want OmniSharp to be, you know, a good core product that has the flexibility to add or move, you know, what the editor needs at the time, uh, I mean, we were, I was talking this this afternoon to, to Dustin Campbell and, you know, VS Code doesn't want strip CS support by default. And that's just that's how they want to deploy their editor at the end of the day. And that's great. You know, VS Code will probably come from some plugin. Um, right. You know, and so we're trying to, you know, the first step is getting OmniSharp cut up into pieces so that we can do plugins. The next step is, you know, how do we load those things? Um, but ideally, 
you know, we should be able to have plugins that OmniSharp can load that adds in extra functionality that maybe doesn't belong in OmniSharp core. Yeah, and you can see what I mean, like how easily it could get out of control, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, like an idea that I've I've had in the back of my head, which is another one of those big, lots of work, crazy ideas, is you know, continuous testing. Right, Roslyn has all the awesome information. I, you know, as I make changes, I can track those changes and then decide what tests I need to run. Right. Based on that information, does that live in OmniSharp? You know. Yeah. Good does question. it belong to OmniSharp, or does it belong to something else that just sort of extends OmniSharp and adds additional information an editor can call to? Um, you know, it'd be nice to, alongside CodeLens, I can say, you know, this method is broken a test. Right. Yeah. The same way that you get a create, you know, the, the swiggle when you mistype something or an undeclared variable, you could immediately see when you made the change that you broke tests. Yeah, exactly. Is that something that's going to materialize anytime soon? Not this week. No, no not this week. That's for sure. <laughs> um, you know, but that's an idea that's in the back of my head that, you know, these are the cool things that we could build. But then I sort of question myself, does it make sense to put that into OmniSharp? You know, OmniSharp's about you know, code intelligence and understanding your code and giving you information about it. And tests kind of jumps that line. And now you're, you're adding some more opinions on top. Right. Which while is not a bad thing, you know, I, we don't want it to become, this is the prescribed way you do X, right? That you must use X unit. You must use this. You must use that. I mean, I think Visual Studio fell into a trap there with like MS test, right? That's the easiest way to unit testing in C-sharp projects. You know, in 2013, was I'll make a new test project and here's MS test. Yeah, should it just be a different project that plugs into the same model? Doesn't have to be under the OmniShop banner at all. It's still a good idea. Just let it stand alone. Exactly. Is OmniShop in need of more contributors, or do you have all the people you need? Oh, we can always use more people. Um, you know, even if all, if all you can do is offer some time for testing. You know, just help us test, make sure we haven't broken stuff as we're, we're trying to get these PRs out and, and, and all that kind of stuff and make sure that, you know, we just haven't fundamentally broken you and, and, and turn everyone else. I mean, there's issues for Adam and Rosalind too, so have at it. I'm still wrestling with the server model. Like, why not have just this installed on the machines? Like, Well, I mean, it's a server, but it's not yeah. hosted in the cloud, right? Yeah. It's just a separate process that you run. It's just to keep it isolated. Yeah, yeah, it's just about isolation, right? You know, we could do that all in Atom and then call in to Roslyn and stuff like right. that. But then now you're tied to the JavaScript side, right? You sort of have this tight coupled runtime. At least when you do something um, like HTTP, and actually, Atom is not even using HTTP anymore. Um, there's, it's using standard input output. So there's actually a two-way relationship between it and the server today. So the server can actually, you know, send information to the client and be very opinionated with, you know, here's your, your, your uh, diagnostics and stuff like that. Um, and in fact, we use that for like, um, what is it, a package restore. So when you save a project JSON file, the server will do a, a DNU restore for you, and then it'll serve that information down to the client as messages. And so then the client can react to that and show a notification, for example. Right. Okay. And I was also thinking, just when you start spawning lots of browser windows and or editing windows and so forth, like being able to have as as more of a central resource probably more efficient as well. Yeah. Um. With the way the Atom plugin works, anyway, it, it can actually spawn up a bunch of servers if you have a bunch of different projects. Um. But that that concept was all about you know let's make it so that the editing experience is sort of smooth you can just open a file and get working you don't have to worry about oh i need to open my solution or add my project to the solution right. everything working it's just you open a file and it starts up and a couple seconds later you got intellisense you're just there hmm. yeah and it definitely something that we've struggled with in studio is this just drop in make an edit and move on you know, we, it, there's too much of this relationship to the project and the overall configuration and so forth. Like, it's just a lot of weight. All right. I've got a burning question here. In the list of clients that you support, you have the command line. What? <laughs> I have no idea. What? Um, but, I mean, you can, talk, you can talk to it over the command line if you want. Is it just for configuration or something? It mentions Yeoman. Um, well, there's the Yeoman project that's under the OmniSharp banner, um, and so that's for uh, bootstrapping new ASP.NET uh, 5 applications. Mm -hmm. um, and Adam actually has an integration with that, so I built a wrapper around Yeoman to, to get that in. Mm -hmm. But you can actually go into Adam, go add, pro or, yeah, go add project, web application, pick your settings, and bam, you're encoding. You don't have to go to the console yourself. 
you just have to go into Adam, start working. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and you, and you get back to this whole idea of composing your own dev stack, your own tool suite, all the different pieces that you want to use, your editor, your testing suite, your deployment mechanisms. I, I see what this is now. It's for creating projects. Yes, yeah. So that's for creating new projects, new files, that kind of stuff. I was going to um, say, with command line IntelliSense, that's really funny. Well, I mean, you could have like a CI process, I guess, if you wanted. I guess. I mean, I'm not sure what, what sense it makes. Copy con uh, hello.cs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can get yourself into a weird, weird place like that. But yeah, the, the generator is awesome because it's like, you know, here's the Visual Studio way, well, not quite, you know, as close as we can get it to the Visual Studio way of to create a new class, right? Um, and it's lacking in some ways. I got a PR or two out uh, with, with them to add, you know, proper namespaces. So, you know, can we infer your namespaces from the project name and from your current location? You know, when you make that new file and give you something, um, which is nice for Adam because you can go new class and then the namespace is populated and you just start working. Awesome. How do we get involved? How does somebody listening get involved? So uh, you go to the website, Omnisharp.net. You can go from there. Uh, there's the GitHub uh, organization, Omnisharp. You got all the editors that are under there. Mm -hmm. Generators are under there. The servers are under there. Um, you know, and just let us know. If you have problems, if you try something out and then it's broken, you know, the feedback is, is the best thing we can get. You know, if it's broken, we want to fix it. It's not that we're trying to let it sit there, you know, bug riddled. We just want, you know, we may just may not have seen it. Fair enough. Wow, David, this is great stuff. Yeah, I'm glad we did a deep dive on it. I'm sure our listeners are also. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. And uh, you want to mention places where you're going to be speaking? Uh, so I'm going to be at the Raleigh Code Camp. Uh, happening in October, uh, as well as I'm going to be flying up to Dallas and uh, being at .NET Unboxed, I guess, while uh, Dev Intersections is actually going on. So yes. if you aren't able to make it to Dev Intersections, you know, .NET Unboxed, head on over. Great. Awesome. Thanks again, David. Uh, thank you for, for having me on. Absolutely. And we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm